Hey, hello, happy Thursday. Welcome to the SONA, the State of the Nation Address Day as we release this week's episode of News Worth Knowing on the issue with Dan Corder. Every single Thursday, you can expect this episode, this series, to update you and let you know what you need to know about the three biggest, most interesting and consequential news stories facing South Africa from the last seven days. And so much has happened this week. So I thought before we settle into tonight's State of the Nation address and the absolutely mandatory red carpet shit show disaster fashion experiences that we're going to be forced to look at from politicians with no taste. Before we do all of that tonight, as we do every year like clockwork in February, let's give you news worth knowing. On today's episode, we're going to tell you about new polling that suggests a cataclysmic catastrophe for the ANC. Not yet quite the death of the party or anything dramatic like this, but it is predicting the kind of election result for the ANC this year that would be seen as a total, total disaster. Also going to update you on the longest running, uh, basically a scandalous court case in modern South African history. It's been going for nearly two decades and involves the please call me guy who might now stand to make billions of rands in compensation of, over his contracted fight with Vodacom and the invention of the please call me function all those years ago. And finally, Speaking of Sona, will the EFF even be there tonight? There's been some back and forth and court judgments and law and rule changes in parliament that might actually stop Julius Malema and co from attending and probably disrupting at all. Welcome to News Worth Knowing. It's the 8th of February, 2024. This is The Issue with Dan Corder, because we all know that South Africa is a movie. Welcome to the watch party. South Africa is wild and overwhelming, and on this show we explain, analyze, and understand the biggest news stories and issues facing this country every single week. Two episodes of The Issue come out every single week on podcast and also in video form on YouTube, and we also release weekly exclusive episodes of interviews and analysis on Patreon. Go find us there. Lastly, if you're new here and enjoy the episode, it would be so wonderful if you clicked subscribe or follow. It makes a huge difference as we develop the show going forward. Right, let's get into it. Before we get into those big stories, we are actually recording this on Wednesday, the 7th of February, before Bafana Bafana actually faces Nigeria in this incredible match tonight. It's the semifinals of the African Nations Cup. Bafana Bafana has not been in the semifinals of the African Cup of Nations since 2000, 24 years ago, before many people who listen to and watch this show were even born. And of course, we haven't been in a final since we won the thing in 1996. And so, we just thought on the show that the right thing to do would be to record a, you know, a, a, a chunk for either outcome. So basically, I'm going to record now for you uh, what we would say if we won and lost. So no matter what happens, we have our bases covered. Okay, <clears throat> so let's quickly just record now, Eric, uh, Eric, editor and producer and researcher. Let's just record now uh, what happens if Bafana wins. Okay, <clears throat> all right, here we go. And Bafana Bafana have taken an iconic shock underdog story, vital, famous, worldwide historic triumph against the Super Eagles, the icons of Nigeria, the super heavyweights of African football with so many stars from Adamola Lukman to Victor Azamen, stars who play in the top leagues all over the world. And little old South Africa, who's been perennially underdogs, it's not even qualified for some AFCONs, weren't expected to do anything 
in this tournament, barely even make it out of the group, let alone beaten Morocco, have now made an AFCON final, proving that finally a sports-mad country whose number one sport is soccer finally, for the first time in generations, has a men's team to be proud of. Oh, I can't wait for the final on Sunday versus Cote d'Ivoire slash the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. And wow, didn't all of our stars play so well last night? Probably including Percy Tao, Ronan Williams, Tempazwane, and, you know, Mokop, I don't know, probably one of them. Well done, Bafana. Okay, great. Cool, thank you, Eric. Now we're just going to do uh, what if Bafana loses? <clears throat> right, here we go. Well, we shouldn't have got invested. We shouldn't have got our hopes up. We should have known better because once again, Bafana Bafana failed us, beaten soundly by Nigeria last night. What a heartache. What a heartbreak. What a disaster for our guys who did better than we all expected because honestly, our expectations were... They weren't even the floor. They were they were subterranean. They were deep in the darkest like basements, you know, uh, disaster basements. But Bafana Bafana fell at the final hurdle. No, the second final, the second last hurdle again before the final. And you know what? We shouldn't have got our hopes up. We should have known better. 20 years of this we have lived through and we were duped again because we had too much hope, too much optimism and too much romance in our hearts. Fool me once, Bafana, shame on you. Fool me twice, Bafana, shame on me. Fool us all for 20 years into hoping that you can do something amazing. Shame on all of us, you and us, Bafana. Cool, now that's out of the way. Let's get into news worth knowing for this week. And we're starting off with this bombshell drop polling that came out in the last few days. You know that there's tons of polling all the time that's trying to project and figure out, based on the data available, the interviews and the research, how people are likely to vote in an upcoming election. There's been plenty of it in South Africa in the last few months, but the closer we get to the election, the more that it matters. And there are different polls, some run by small institutes, some run even by media and news publications. And we respect them differently based on how comprehensive and wide-reaching their methods are and the reputation of the polling you know, company that does the polls. Which is why this new Ipsos poll that came out has put South Africa's jaws on the collective floors. Maybe all one floor for all in South Africa. Because Ipsos is extremely reputable. They are the company that is generally understood to do the widest ranging and most reliable research, the best and most comprehensive interviews, and cover enough ground to really maybe rely on their information that they give out. And Ipsos has projected that on a medium turnout the ANC will drop a wild, wild, humiliating, disastrous 12% from 57% of the vote to over 10 million votes in 2019 when Ramaphosa ran for power, ANC ran under his banner for the first time, to just 45%, way hundreds of thousands of votes short of a simple majority. The nightmare, the beyond disaster scenario. Now, what do you need to know to truly understand how significant this is besides Ipsos being the big deal and the super reputable player in South African polling? Because Ipsos has specifically predicted this ANC disaster for a medium turnout. And turnout rarely matters in an election. So let's talk about this. Turnout means quite literally that how many of the registered possible voters in an election actually bother to rock up and cast their ballots on election day. Now, South Africa's turnout recently has been quite poor. Many, many, many millions of people who are even registered to vote haven't bothered to rock up to vote on voting day. But there's plenty of evidence that this time around might be a little bit different. Quite simply, 
the IEC has been able to register a pretty solid voter registration campaign. They've got over a million new people registered. It's a marked improvement on previous voting registration campaigns from the Electoral Commission. And there seems to be a bit of a hunger among South Africans, more so than in the past, to go in and vote and, and you know really try and cause some significant change. The reason why turnout matters so much is in South Africa, the lower the turnout, the better the big parties do, the DA and specifically the African National Congress. And the reason why is quite simple. The bigger, more established parties are exceptionally good at mobilizing their voters, mobilizing their base to actually bother to go and vote. And so when there is a low turnout, what that really means is that other smaller parties haven't been able to mobilize their supporters to go out and vote for them. And what that would mean is all the ANC people are voting and less opposition party supporters are voting. And so the ANC does better in the election. A medium turnout means that the ANC and the DA get all their voters out. But a lot of other parties, smaller ones, also do. And that is a very different outcome. And then often the worst case scenario for the bigger parties is a high turnout. Now, high turnout is very unlikely. It's virtually never happened in South Africa, certainly not in our recent past. But on a medium turnout, Ipsos itself has found ANC would get 45%. And that literally changes the future. Actually, no, it changes South Africa the second that that result comes in because the ANC has never even fallen close to 50%. If they fall below 50%, they would have to go into a coalition. But if they get 49 or 48, they can just pick up a tiny party and basically give them something small and then tell the party, we'll go and get anybody else if you step out of line. And it's essentially the ANC ruling on its own again. But if they only get 45%, that's a lot of ground they have to make up. They'd have to convince a smaller party that did quite well, like got 4 or 5%, or a few even smaller parties who did ah, fine, 1%, 2 3%, and get them all in the ring together to support them. But if they have to do that and rely on a smaller party when they really need to pick up a lot of votes with their coalition, then they really have to listen to them and do what they say, and the power is imbalanced. Not all the way to the smaller parties, but the smaller parties can say, well, you have to kind of go along with us and follow our our desires even a little bit because you don't have many other options besides us, particularly because so many parties have said that they will never, ever go into coalition with the ANC. Parties like uh, various members of the multi-party charter and others have said that they do, and they're running against the ANC expressly. So that's unbelievably interesting. But let's add one more piece of context, which is also fascinating from this Ipsos poll. It says the DA on a medium turnout will get 21%. So they won't grow, they won't fall. That is so interesting because the main opposition party is clearly not taking votes or power off of the ruling party, even as the ruling party drops by 12%. The the second biggest party is not picking up any of that in this hypothetical if Ipsos gets it right. That means where are the other votes going? Well, Ipsos predicts a significant jump for the EFF, sometimes even as much as 7 percentage points on a medium turnout to 18%, which would make the EFF only just smaller than the DA. Then they're also predicting that Action SA on its debut, Herman Mashaba's party might pick up 4%, which would be radical, and IFP growth maybe, and there's a bunch of other moving parts besides. Now, that is so interesting because it means that the biggest opposition party is not galvanizing any more of a support base. And it means potentially a massive growth for the EFF. And the EFF and the DA are diametrically opposed. So it doesn't necessarily mean a threat to the ANC because nobody can see the DA and the EFF getting together to try and join parties and make a coalition to knock out the ANC. But it's very interesting. And if the DA does grow that much, then the multi-party charter, which is this fantasy dreamland of DA and Action SA and others, If they don't want to work with the EFF and can't and they're going against the ANC, they literally won't have the numbers to get to 50% because 
EFF 18 uh, onto the ANC's 45%, which would mean even in the worst case scenario for the ANC, the remaining parties would only have 6,300 minus 63 is 37% to play with. So that's fascinating. But then the pinch of salt uh, that I have to provide, and, and Ipsos did itself, which is super important. Polls disagree. And polls at best make projections based on limited data that if you do it properly is reliable data, but is not necessarily going to be right. We all remember that Hillary Clinton was, according to the data and the polls, supposed to beat Donald Trump in the American election uh, in 2016. That was all supposed to happen, and it didn't happen. So although Ipsos is such a reputable one and often does, more often than not, does get things largely right or close to right, it doesn't mean that this is going to happen. And just to prove the point, also earlier this week, a different poll came out from an organization called the Inclusive Society Institute. And they said that in like the worst case scenario on a high, medium to high voter turnout, the ANC would get 48 on a high voter turnout, 48%. And so if Epsos is saying that the ANC on just a medium, medium bad, you can understand for the ANC, medium bad for the ANC gets 45 but the Inclusive Society Institute says that on a high bad, the worst bad, the most heat for the ANC on a high turnout, they would get 48 still, 48, 49. You can see how we can't immediately now go, cool, wash our hands, walk away with it. Ipsos has said that the ANC is going to have a disaster. But it still matters. The fact that Ipsos itself has said that this might be such a shambolic disaster for the African National Congress. Right, on to our second piece of news worth knowing for today. You may really feel like this court proceeding has been running since Mandela was released from prison. It has felt like a very long time. I mean, it's been like nearly 20 years that this court case has been going on. You may know him as the Please Call Me guy, the Please Call Me inventor. His actual name is Nkosana Makate. And the story, if you don't know, is that he basically is credited as inventing the Please Call Me service. He was working for Vodacom, but in the finance department... Uh, in the 2000s and he made the suggestion for please call me now for younger listeners to the show i now have to do a lot of explaining because i'm going to take you back to a time in the deep past before mixed which you probably don't know and blackberry which you probably don't know is a phone you probably just think it's a fruit and something called bbm which you probably think is something like a bbl way back in time to the brick smartphone or just the brick phone that you may have heard from a company that used to be very big called nokia And all the way back in time then, the way we used to communicate on our phones in text was through text messages that cost money. Not even data, by the way, but airtime. You had to have something else, something separate called airtime. You had to buy airtime for texts and phone calls and data for internet connection and internet-based services. Now data does basically everything. But back in the day, you needed to do that. And you need to figure out how how to send SMS text messages very shorthand because every single one cost, I think at the time, was about 80 cents. And you only had 140 characters, like an old tweet before Twitter like expanded the length of tweets that you can tweet. So you had to figure out how to text in 140 characters. You had to use numbers instead of letters. You had to use, this is why things like LOL exist, because you had to be able to say laughing out loud in as few characters as possible. And way back in those days, all the cellular network providers in South Africa were competing for dominance. And Vodacom was trying to figure out a way to get their users to use Firstly, to get Vodacom contracts, and secondly, to use their phones to communicate more. But then, Nkosana Makate from finance had an amazing idea. He came across to his managers and the development team at Vodacom, and he said, why don't you create 
a service, which is like a free SMS, but no one's directly sending each other an SMS. This is how it works. You know how in the old school way, if you want to check how much data you have, you type in a series of numbers like you're making a phone call, like star triple one hash or star 135 star or something like that. He said, what if Vodacom users with Vodacom contracts and SIM cards can put in a code that goes for the oldies, star 180, star 082, and then the number of the person that you are trying to get the attention of or another combination of that, but it's generally star 140 star and then the number of the person you're trying to contact and then hash. And they type that in and it costs them nothing because they don't actually send an SMS. Instead, Vodacom or the cellular network provider then sends the person you're trying to contact whose number you put in an SMS that says, please call this person. They're trying to call you and then hopefully that person will call you and then you'll get a, be able to talk. But the way the Vodacom made money off of that, besides basically saying you can only do this between Vodacom users, which incentivize more people to get Vodacom contracts if they're in a family and need to contact their family members. The other way that they were smart is they could then sell advertising on these little SMSs. So it says, please call this person. They want to call you. They want to talk to you. Here's the number. And then it says, buy pizza from wherever. And that was a radically unbelievable future-changing campaign and invention for Vodacom. It has been estimated that they have made 70 billion rand in revenue from the please call me service in the last 20 or so years now i think that humans get lost in the numbers after a million i don't think we can truly conceptualize how much a billion is so i'm just going to explain it differently a billion is a thousand million so courtesy of Nkosana makate's idea vodacom has made listen properly seventy thousand million rands in the last about two decades and so, very reasonably, Nkosana Makates has for a long time been saying that he deserves some kind of compensation and Vodacom has tried to defend themselves in a bunch of courts and say that they don't owe Nkosana anything. They've also tried to offer him settlements. They recently offered him like 47 million rand to just settle the case and make it go away. And I think most of us are thinking, 47 million, Nkosana, take the money. Oh my word, 47 million. I don't think I'll ever make 47 million or see it, let alone make it in my whole life. I, take the money, Nkosana. But Nkosana Makate has obstinately refused to take the money and has waited and kept going in the courts. Uh, Rumor has it that he lives in a small, simple home with his family. He has a day job and makes a decent amount of money. And so all the way through this time, the temptation to take the settlements, the bailouts, was there. But he just knew, he just knew in his heart that he had a chance of a massive payout. And it turns out he was absolutely right, because in 2016, the Constitutional Court ordered the courts to figure out just and fair compensation for this extraordinary 70 billion rand revenue worth invention that Nkosana Makate gave to his employer at the time, Vodacom. And they offered him the settlement, 47 million rand. And then just recently, in the last few days, the Supreme Court of Appeal ruled that Vodacom had to find another just settlement and pay Nkosana Makate what he deserved. But this is where it gets crazy because the numbers they are now speaking about is between 5 and 7.5% of the total proceeds made by Vodacom for the Please Call Me service. Now, they made 70 billion, right? So far. <sighs> Nkosana Makate, if you get 7.5%, stands to make 49 billion rand. He would instantly be one of the richest South Africans in history, one of the richest South Africans on the planet right now. 4.9 billion rand. Yo, the lottery, you have seven days to respond, 48 hours even, because that is a 
that is just like not even a generational that is a miracle amount of money and it's actually more than that because they still have to adjust for inflation because the South African rand is devalued over the last 20 years. So it's 4.9 billion in like the 2000s terms, but now we're in 2024. It's going to be so much more money than that. So Vodacom has now announced that they're going to take the Supreme Court of Appeal decision back to the Constitutional Court. But remember, the Con Court initially already said that they needed, well, they ordered Vodacom uh, to find a just settlement. So now we're going to see what they say about this SCA percentage. But yo. Osana Makate, the level of faith and push through and energy in yourself to go for that is absolutely absurd. There's one day going to be an incredible Netflix documentary about this. And final piece of news worth knowing is actually literally about tonight. It's after the red carpet disaster that I can't wait to watch when we just marvel at the unbelievably expensive car crash kind of like disaster fashion accidents that our politicians put on and show off as though they're at the Oscars or the Met Gala before the sonar every year. Can't wait. But the other thing that the sonar is known for is the EFF disrupting. The EFF throwing toys in words and sometimes throwing themselves around. Order, Chapasin! the ruling party by Endless um, complaints and calls to order. And last year, they even got on up on the stage as the president was trying to address the nation. They were physically removed by security guards. And essentially what's happened since then is Parliament, run by the ANC, dominated majority by the ANC, has instituted a bunch of laws to try and stop that kind of thing from ever happening again. So essentially in the name of keeping decorum during such an important and an enormous address, all kinds of disruptions are now banned and frivolous points of order are banned. And even like, as far as I can understand, security companies are now actually in extreme circumstances allowed to carry serious weapons to deal with disruptions at the State of the Nation address. And beyond all of that, the EFF is now in the courts because it seems like Julius Malema and five or six other prominent EFF members might be banned from attending the State of the Nation address tomorrow. And by the time you hear this, this um, squabble may, be, may have been wrapped up because I know that they've gone to court. You may already know, it may already be in the news by the time this episode airs, which will just be a few hours before the State of the Nation address tomorrow, uh, which is for you now today, 8th of February. Uh, but maybe the court will rule that the EFF members can't attend. Maybe they can, but watch out for that because it's the latest in a long, long, long-running saga between the EFF and everybody else, but particularly the ANC at the State of the Nation Address. Right, thank you so much for listening to News Worth Knowing this week. The last thing I want to tell you is that we've got a fabulous new episode up on Patreon, an exclusive expert interview with our subscribers with Mbali Mtuli. You may know her for her years and years of service to the Democratic Alliance in KwaZulu-Natal and then she left under acrimonious circumstances after what seemed like a big spat with Helen Ziller and fundamental disagreements about the Democratic Alliance's conduct and direction and many people thought that she would then go into politics again with another political party but instead she set up this extraordinary organization and a non-profit NGO called Groundwork Collective and what they have been doing in the last few years is going across the country non-partisan they're not fighting for any political organizational movement they've just been convincing south africans to register to vote thousands and thousands and thousands of south africans in really smart and innovative ways and for that reason mbali Ntuli is one of the best placed people in south africa to tell us how south africans feel about voting at all why they are voting why they're not what they're dispirited about what they're encouraged about and you can get that full interview with her talking about the upcoming election and what she's learned from her work in the last few years with the groundwork collective 
on our Patreon. You just need to search the issue with Dan Quarter Patreon. It's all there for a small monthly subscription. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on Monday with the next episode of The Issue with Dan Quarter.